Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. state everybody our guests we have two guests here today they started telling a few stories just when they came into the studio and we felt we had to get them into their seats and in front of a microphone very quickly before we lost any gold uh, that was left outside the outside the room so joe how are you doing chris great you're happy. happy yeah to have these two very remarkable young men uh, here today and uh, we have it's, it, it's our privilege. I mean that sincerely, boys. We have Jer um, Brennan and Philly McMahon sitting in front of us. It looks yeah. like a bit like a kind of interrogation room. <laughs> Those, they, look like, <laughs> they, and they, they look like two young Mormons. Philly's <laughs> <laughs> got that baby face yeah. and Jer. Honestly, they even our free Bibles. Yeah. <laughs> Father Philip McMahon's going to yeah. say a few words now. <laughs> well, I'm just delighted to be here today at this charity event. <laughs> And the two bucks would punch the head off you. <laughs> <laughs> we might get into that. Aye, aye. So you, you boys were, I mean, I'm very friendly with Pat Kilroy, but he always talks about... Did you just call him Pat? The start of... I can't of believe you didn't call him Patrick for this. You the start, call him Patrick, no? The start of the... you just got to keep, if you want to make a point, you got to keep going with Joe because <laughs> he's not going to stop. Yeah. <laughs> but the start of that... I must use the word great, obviously everybody knows that, but something that was very exceptional that we could see unfolding before our eyes and that enthralled us all. But Pat always talks about you two boys at the heart of what he called the Dirty Dozen, where 
2009, you had your year, and then he dropped you, Philly. And I was too dirty. Jesus, fucking Philly! He was all emotions. He was all emotions. Then he said that he said that when he dropped you, you you, you arrived up at the house and said to him, "Do you not like me?" <laughs> and he said, "No, I don't like you." <laughs> yeah. And he said that he thought to himself, "This is a guy who needs to change, but." He can accept a challenge. Well, he said by 2010, he then had the four fr- the four challenge matches against Monaghan, yeah, where he said, "Okay, him and Banty agreed. Look, get Pat Banty's brother to ref." Yeah. And as he put it, they went out and punched the fuck out of each other. He said in those games, no press, in a skein, pissy nights, as he described it. He wanted to see who had character, who could uh, play. And, you know, it's an awful pity some of those games, because Pat McEnany said to me, Jesus, you never saw the like of it in your life. Banty famously said to Pat after the first game, he says, did you get those boys out of prison? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was probably walking in prison at the time. (laughs) I actually, do you know what, I I used to, only in in reflection now, like, like, you have a little bit of a, I don't know what the word is, connection or, buzz for Monaghan <laughs> you know because they were just like us they were just like developing and you know getting to a stage where they, they needed to find a group of players and you see some of them still there now how long will they be there next season I don't know but a lot of lads that you see in the, the team that Dublin just played were, were a part of that group like you know they were hard boys and they still are like you know mm. they were tough, yeah. tough lads so, um, Paul Casey was still on the panel with us and Dick Clerken and the two lads had won a Sigerson or certainly competed together uh, for DCU and Jordan won those games up in the inner skiing. the two lads started boxing and it was almost almost like uh, ice hockey or the way it used to be where if two lads were going at it and if it was a relatively fair fight the referees would leave a goal <laughs> to, to, to the ground but so the two lads both caught each other and nothing broken but a bit of blood and then um, Pastor said right lads off his go and uh, two other fellas come on <laughs> and, and, and that was it Thank uh, you. <laughs> I, I, I remember Mark and Rory Woods and uh, again I was in a, a, bit, a bit of better shape then and, and, and Woods was obviously a, a, um, an old school footballer or a savage player when he got the ball in his Big hands strong fella too and I was trying to give it to him and in fairness he gave it back to me now uh, uh, on enough occasions and then after 10 or 15 minutes of figuring each other out so it was just a healthy respectful so we'll just play the ball here because he's not going to take any crap off me I'm not going to take any crap off him and you want to get on with the game as well but F- Figuring it was, uh, it each other out sounds like a good euphemism <laughs> for whatever uh, whatever was going on Yeah, it, it was... Um, what would you call it? It, it was Pat and both Pats, I suppose. Uh, um, oh, sorry, Banty um, and Pat Kilroy obviously felt that both teams needed a, a bit of toughening up of sorts, I guess, which is why we ended up to, so to, to be forged in the fire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that was it. And George Orwell said that all serious sport was war without the guns. You know, you're taking something from me that's uh, that's very special and that I will lose, you know, and that's why I was... So I haven't even spoken about what happened to Derry last week because I don't mind a team being beaten, but what I hate is a team surrendering, you know, mm. whenever it's there, yeah. you know. We had to lose it. Kerry weren't going to win it. And I think that that's what's special about your group, 
you know, that, um, I mean, Gilroy said that, like he talks about you two, um, Michael Dara, Rory, Dennis Bastic, <laughs> who said, just, I mean, people don't realize <laughs> Dennis was fucking mental. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but he talks about that group, he said, being impossible to sicken. You know, the famous, the notorious 40 training sessions in a row, sometimes twice a day. And he said, like, Jerry and Philly would be there saying, is that all you've got, Pat? Like, you know, their attitude was like, is, this, is that it? Is that it? Is there no more? Is there no more? We, we used to go into the, the Yacht Pub in Clontarf after the 6 a.m. sessions, and none of us had ever done that down in Alfiebourne Road. And in my head, well, you'd be absolutely knackered kind of during it, but you'd always keep going. I was saying, I'm looking forward to the breakfast up in the yacht because it was always a lovely spread put on. It was actually a lovely grub. <laughs> and that was what actually got me through, which is, you know, it's weird the things that kind of get you through, certainly that uh, that January period. And then there was another, we used to train the Tuesday morning and then there was a Tuesday evening, it was snow. snow yeah. And we ended up in Ballymun Kickhams. Now they've got new all weather since, but it was probably needed to be ripped up years ago as well. Oh, was, was that but, uh, 2009? Yeah, back, there, back so, and forth. So yeah. 2009, obviously I was dropped. Right. So uh, my gym was in Ballymun Kickhams. Yeah. And you used to go in and go upstairs to the attic space and mm -hmm. stretch out. Yeah. So I, I got in touch with a good friend of mine, Owen Roddy, who's Conor McGregor's striking coach. And he was looking to set up a, a, an MMA gym in Ballymun. And I loved combat sports and I know you do as well Joe and um, I was basically watching uh, them yeah <laughs> no the lads so so I said like he wanted to rent it upstairs and I said no you can use downstairs and the reason for that was when I first seen you was coming through I was I was I was probably saying Tuesday Thursday nights do sparring you know because uh, there's kids walking around you during nights and we don't want to see like a guy at clubs blah 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 mm. But it was purposely so that when the Dublin lads were walking through, they'd see me sparring. And yeah. like I wasn't on the squad. Yeah. So so that was my thing. Like, you'll see I'm doing a bit of work. This is to Pat, like, you know. Yeah. Did it make any impact? I don't know. But that was what I was thinking psychologically at that age. Like, what young, I was no idea. I was 20, maybe. <laughs> it worked all right. <laughs> did the <laughs> following worked, year. Yeah. I did the following <laughs> year, like, you know. But um, I didn't. I, I, I remember kind of when you were out training in the snow and I just remember saying to myself probably not a bad thing I'm on the squad now like because it was it was torturous like but it's as you said it forged you like to who you who you became when it, the ground got harder and the, the sun came out we, we were doing 1v1s in, in snow with about 2 or 3 inches of slush on the on the elevator pitch and then 2v2s and you just had to keep going and you could barely see the ball you obviously couldn't bounce it and it was just it was warfare uh, in a lot of ways and the panel was still 35, 40 deep at that stage. And how different was that to like years before, the few years before? Was that a, like, was that an increase in intensity? The the uh, type of training dif differed. I had two, three years with Pillar Caffrey and uh, the training used to peak uh, between the league and championship uh, on the Pillar. And, and probably the way in which lads were prepared during Pillar's era is, is different to now, where now it's about being physically in shape kind of all year round. So when you do have to get going again for the league, it's not that much stress on the body, which reduces the chances of injuries. Dion. But back then, everyone wintered well. And you gradually tried to come a peak uh, come the uh, end of the league. Uh, I guess Pat's mentality, you probably have to ask him, but he, he would 
I would have looked at what Brian Cody was doing with Kilkenny and that there was a direct correlation between your league position and how you fared in the championship weeks on the previous years. And again, it's all relative to where you are as a group. So we were a group that needed to be pushed hard early to get into good habits, get a bit of momentum going. Similar to what I guess Jack O'Connor's done with Kerry last year. Not so much this year, and even Dublin not so much this year either, because they know they have in the tank. But back then, Pat had us nearly championship fit for the first round of the so league. So wintering well was out. Wintering well was out, yeah. I was out to that. Yeah. I mean, the the you know when we were going very well, the team was unbelievably aggressive. Mm. You know, even I think we won four national leagues and in all Ireland, but. In around that period, the team was unbelievably aggressive, even at the training. Now, we didn't sustain it because I think Derry and, you know, the euphoria of winning one and not having the sort of support systems or training systems that there are now. But it taught me that the game was about war. It's about mental strength and who you are as a person. And I think that, you know, when I looked at you boys playing, and, I mean, Gilroy said, for example, that Jer was the biggest trash talker he ever saw on the field. He said it was just like it was. He said he used to play because he used to say master was. You were number six, yeah. And Gilroy, Gilroy says to him one day, he says like the fucking trash talker. He said, I don't know if you remember the day you you punched the head off Kieran McGinney. <laughs> well, I, I I was on my way up and I didn't punch him, but we with a few body collisions and I was a bit younger. And uh, I would have looked up to Kieran in some ways, in fairness, when he was playing, obviously. But uh, he was probably mid-30s, I was early 20s, playing for Nafina. He was playing for Nafina. He was playing for Nafina, yeah, yeah. And the McNulty was a uh, cornerback. He had a swipe at Dermo, uh, as someone else in the room did. Uh, uh, um, <laughs> More than once. Gilroy says that he said to Jer, yeah. he said to him, Jer, I mean, how do you square this with your Christian Christian values? And Jer said, uh, yeah. go to confession. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I used to say to Jer, what people don't know is like, <clears throat> I'm not very religious. I'm the typical, got christened, you know, confirmation, communion, all that sort of stuff, but wouldn't really go to mass. Or but I used to sit on the bus with Jer on the way home, wasn't it, Jer? Mostly like, and I used to ask him about, you know, religion. And I used to ask him about, I, I remember sitting down talking about, hey, do you remember that? I don't know what match it was. We were coming home from a game. We were talking about he, and why I think that's so kind of why it's so important now is because you see the issues we have in society now and the hate that we have in society now. And that day we we the conversation. I don't know if you remember it, but I said to you, "Do you hate anybody?" He said, "I don't have it in my body." I said, "But like you're a dirty fucker on the pitch. Like you have to hate <laughs> someone." He said, "That's not hate, like you know." So a healthy was, hatred, I would describe yeah. it from a sporting point of view. That. Yeah. Uh, you have to almost trick yourself into a f- false sense of hatred in one way as, as a defender to and as you describe Joe, it's 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 like it's they have what I want. So it's us and them. Yeah. And it was very it's, noticeable, it's, it's, like it's from the outset it was a very noticeable flight, yeah. transformation come yeah. two thousand and ten it was there, you fell short. Remember that game against yeah. Cork? Against Cork, yeah. You know, with a small adjustment I think that would probably have been one. I think you would have beaten down in the final that year. Yeah. You think it'd been sort of too much for them, even though they had quite an electric forward line. But come two thousand and eleven, you could see it. It was like a big, almost like a cloud over Croke Park that day against Kerry. This is coming, boys. This is coming. You could, I, I genuinely mean that. You could feel it because there's an emotion in a game, and the Dubs were ferocious. And I did wonder, 
when you said about, you know, faking an emotion, what I always thought about you two boys um, was that there's a great line, Teddy Atlas, I don't know if you've seen the Four Kings documentary about Tommy the Hitman Hearn, Sugar Ray, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and the great Roberto Duran, and about those battles. And he says at the end of the documentary, he said, you know, people thought this was skin-on-bone collisions. He said, this, that's not what this is about. He said, this is about emotions. You know, you're fighting almost against yourself. Two men in the ring fighting to find themselves. That's the miracle of it. And I just felt that about, you know, you two boys, there was a thing, something elemental from childhood, maybe. Well, you, you, know. you, you definitely have to have a chip on your shoulder. I'm, I'm the fifth of nine kids, Joe, and four boys, two older brothers, and... Cook stews and bats. <laughs> shoes to do for the week. Or coddle, as we had in Dublin, because you couldn't... Yeah. Probably wasn't enough money to get the. Uh, you li- you live in Dorset Street. Yeah, Dorset yeah. Street, and my dad's around the corner from the studio here in Rings End. My mother grew up in Parnell Street, just off Parnell Street. Yeah. So you wouldn't have had much as a child. Like. No, very little, and uh, um, you didn't obviously you didn't know when you were a kid. It's just if uh, the one thing I'd certainly um, my family situation. I feel is a different story, but uh, that bit of say security from your parents. Say, my mother was always there coming home from school. Say in terms of getting the uh, grub ready. And my dad would be bringing someone out to matches or whatever, like you know. Um, but you always knew uh, there, was, there was you felt secure within the madness of growing up in North Inner City, I guess, in a in a lot of ways. But uh, we were there was actually was nearly a posh part of North Inner City, Joe. In some ways, you know, there wasn't half as much messing going on there, nor is there now. Than goes on in uh, other parts of the you city. You didn't go hungry as a child or anything. I don't think so. Like we, we, I, I remember times getting just jam sandwiches for school or. Uh, um, King sandwiches or a pack of crisps, and uh, which which I pack of crisps, you posh bastard. Yeah, yeah, posh bastard. Yeah. yeah, lucky bastard. When you hear what school you went to? <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, but that was uh, I I I went to Belvedere College, which is a you a scholarship boy there on the scholarship, scholarship boy, scheme, so yeah. social diversity uh, program. So yeah. about I think it's up to nearly fifteen percent of all incoming first years. They take in about it's probably around one thirty one forty students per year now. So uh, they're all social diversity kids that come in. So kids from Ballymun, North Inner City, South Inner City, Darndale, all tough places where they bring, give kids an opportunity. I went teaching there uh, for a time as well. Uh, one or two of the scholarship kids don't last either. They're not able to. Yeah, because there's, there's, yeah. you know, there's an insecurity thing if you come out of you know, relative poverty and all of a sudden you're in this different, you know, it's very easy to, to feel lesser, to feel insecure. And um, I just wondered if that was something that that drove you on. I mean, like Gilroy can't speak highly enough of you two, but he talks about you playing, coming into the Vincent's team when you were 17 or 18. I mean, you were very shortly on the team before you were the All-Ireland Club champions. Yeah. And he said, like, this kid, what the fuck? I mean, this kid would have done anything to him. Like, this kid was, fuck me. You were like, Jesus. He said he was being trash-talked one night by somebody from Kilmacud. Um, Pat was, was he? Yeah. Uh, somebody said, you know, but, you know, the only thing we do when we come over here is to take your fucking mutch, you knacker. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Jer intervened. <laughs> Jer overheard him and intervened. <laughs> we, 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 that was the last time he said that. We, well, well, Pat... Do you remember um, that night? 
It's, I, I can't remember the exact moment, Joe, but but in fairness to the Croaks lads, I have a lot of time for it. Yeah, just say that now, course. right, right, right. Some of the other Southside clubs, maybe not so much, but but, but uh, certainly Croaks, uh, they're actually good old lads, and Philly would agree, I'm sure, with those Southside boys. But um, Pat, Pat used to ring me on the on the sly, and I, I was studying theology at Minute, so, and um, Pat would ring, and he was still playing, Dion, he was 37. And it'd be the Friday before a game or Saturday, um, but more often Fridays we used to play a good few of our uh, uh, matches on Friday evenings with the championship. And he he just ring me and I step out of a moral theology lecture because Pat Pat was ringing me. I just sneak out like you know. I said, "Jeez, what's what's Pat Kilroy ringing me for?" He'd be getting excited, and he's picking up the phone, you know. And uh, oh, are you Pat? Yeah, you're here. And he, he used to say, "Listen, whatever it takes, without getting sent off, do whatever you have to do to make sure we win that match tonight." And I was like, okay, Pat, okay. And uh, I remember Mickey was telling him to ring me, Mickey Whelan, because Mickey was manager, uh, you know, from Seven Pat, are obviously uh, uh, pretty close. But um, so I used to say, yeah, okay, I better do it after Pat, so, you know. But, yeah. uh, but Pat was waiting around as well. So you're, blaming, you're blaming Pat? I'm blaming Pat, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. But he's a good man, man. I'm really tell you his own stories, but that's what good man managers do. That, uh, try to get the best out of it. Try and figure out what, what makes mm. the fella tick. I think you have to... Yeah. You yeah, have to have you it have in your well. like. yeah, When you were yeah. having that conversation with Jar about hate and asking about that, what were you, where were you coming from on that? Cause did you have a different feeling? Did you feel like those kind of have those feelings of anger and hate? I don't know how we brought it up, but it was, it was talking about Jar's, uh, I suppose, his, um, his religious kind of experiences and where he was going in his career. At that stage, I think, Jerry, you were thinking of maybe going a different direction to teach and weren't you you were thinking maybe well, oh. I, I probably thinking priesthood, priesthood at one stage yeah. but um, yeah. I've uh, too much well, I had too much of an eye on me at the time so that wasn't <laughs> going to reconcile with the uh, yeah. far too good looking to be honest so yeah you seriously thought about that um, I, 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 I would have I'd be very drawn to um, the liturgy uh, of the hours which is what defines or, or, or puts structure on uh, um, uh, an ordained person, uh, whether in a convent or working in a diocese or working for an order, is, is the lit- liturgy of the hours, your morning prayer, your lauds, your vespers, your night compline. So I have a little Glenstall book of prayer from the Benedictines from Glenstall Abbey. would have gone down there on a couple of occasions for a couple of retreats and you enter into the daily life of the monastery, which is pretty cool. And for me, Joe, uh, I can't, I'm not ever going to uh, impose my face on, on anyone else, but uh, it, it, it just makes perfect sense for me that there is something greater going on in the world and that um, trying to tune out the bad noise that that exists in the world to allow yourself to, I guess, become one or enter into a relationship with the divine, uh, for me, it, I've always felt that connection. Despite. And does it bring you peace? Absolutely, Leon, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah I make a lot of mistakes and still do, and, and uh, mind you, but, but, but uh, yeah, I can't... Uh, I'd be lying, I'd be, I'd be going against my conscience uh, to say otherwise, you know. Well, I mean, wouldn't you have been a marvellous priest, you know, if, 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 if priests could marry, if we had a more common sense approach from the top? Yeah. You know, we'd have so many people like yourself who have so much to give. Yeah. Who, who would have been in that position? Yeah. I, th- um, I think having the option, Joe, for a guy, um, and uh, again, whatever, Pat, you want to go down with this podcast, but even having females, 
I think that's something that needs to be looked at as well oh, with church. Uh, yeah. It's about time. But to have the option to enter into uh, a life, a relationship with another person while it's also serving your fate, I think, why couldn't you do it? Uh, a GP can do it. Uh, um, a surgeon can do it. Um, why can't the priest? Do yeah, it? or if, you know, if, if he or, or she evangelists wants it. in our community, people yeah. who work, you know, who are communitarians. Now, yeah. on the other hand, Philly McMahon. He <laughs> 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 looks like a priest. <laughs> father, father, father Philip. He's sitting there rolled as he's sitting there rolled as eyes up. This is not oh, yeah. oh, not at all. There, I thought it was in Father Ted. There, for <laughs> <laughs> is that why? So he, he was to sit beside me on the bus. So, so on the long journeys back, I last year a question here, and he put me sleep. <laughs> yeah, I need, yeah I need oh we're in Dublin oh yeah, yeah. thanks yeah. <laughs> it's so much adrenaline after the game I'd speak to you to go sleep but uh, no I think I think for me it was the curiosity piece like this fella is like just to give you some context because he probably won't give it himself he was the class clown of the group like right. he was the one with the banter and the crack and you get the young lad to go up to the top of the bus and say go Pat wants you up there and someone will walk up and as the young lad he's Pat, you want me to know? And everybody turn around, everybody be breaking it. Little, <laughs> little kind of that was Jer, like you know, putting stuff in your boots, all that sort of stuff. That was him. And then, so he's always up to mischief. And then to have this other side of him, yeah, that 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 was curi- that curiosity piece. And the trash to me. talking, and, and the way you, he played. Did you, did you heard the trash talking? Not really. I never like. I always knew he was. He'd a bit of. Give uh, us an example, Jer, of the sort of trash story. talking. Well, we we um. I'll tell you an interesting one, but the guy is still playing, but they're out of the championship, so I can tell you. But in, in, in 2013, in the league, I got put off against Mayo uh, just before half time. Don't mention and Mayo in front of Joe here. He's <laughs> a, the adopted oh, child yeah, of the Mayo here. Please do. We can edit this bit out. You're going to tell you what. And, uh, well, a, a certain player came up and gave me a tap on the back, and uh, he said, Well done, Jer. Uh, go off now and say a few prayers, you know. So, and uh, for yourself, that's you not know. bad in fairness. No, that's what that person oh, said to me, right? And he is still playing, so I won't tell you his name because it's not fair in him, right? But when, when we bet him in the 2013 final, he, I made a beeline for him and I went up and shook his hands and I says, Hard luck, I'll say a few prayers for you tonight. <laughs> I love it. And, uh, <laughs> and I kept that in my locker for, yeah, so I was delighted with that. So I, I, I knew I was never going to lose to Mayo that day because I said I couldn't lose to that person no matter what would happen, you know. I think Mayo have done that a bit. Say that, t- tell us that again. I, that, that that comment to me going off when I was put off in the league game, uh, I, I held that the whole time. For years? Well, it was just, uh, lucky we met them in the All-Iron Final in 2013 that I said, there's no way I, I'm losing to a Mayo team uh, or, that, or this particular player that was playing. The, 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 the mix of very, very strong personalities. I mean, it was, you boys would be far too young to remember, but McGill did a retrospective on the great Dublin team of the 70s and how they had all prospered in their communities, most of them. You know, the massive contributions they'd made, people like David Hickey, for example, for me, the greatest living Irishman. And it's interesting, the parallels, that the modesty and humility of the group and the engagement in wider society. But I wanted to come back to Philly briefly about you know that your father was interned with mine in a long case. No, there you yeah. go. And your father was very seventeen. Your father was very young. Yeah, he was only twenty. He was he young. Was no, he was younger than that. Like Alex Maskey, he was only sixteen. He, I think he was nineteen. He was twenty when he escaped. Brian McCartney was your your old boy would have been what my father would have called you know the go to sleep by weary Provo Brigade. <laughs> the younger boy. You see, my father was very much a senior, you know, person in there. 
What does but that mean? And I don't know if you're... Well, he was, you know, he was a school teacher, well-established. You know, he was a scholar. He would have been seen as someone, you know, who you would go to for advice and all that sort of thing. And they were very self-sufficient. But I'm not sure if your father played in the inaugural Long Cash All-Ireland Championships, which were held in the Cash. Winner, the winners, interestingly, were Derry of that oh, inaugural good, championship. Well. Well, who would you but, have uh, in terms of counties? How long was you? Oh, plenty of thrombos. <laughs> Tell me, how long was your father interned? I don't know, actually. I don't know. Like, see, so my dad was that type of person when he Well, if he, he, did he win about 71, I, 72? 70, I think 74. Aye, so he was in near the end. He was in mm. for, but he was definitely there now. But um, my dad is, <coughs> like, I've heard more about my dad in terms of the troubles now that he's passed than I did when he was alive, you know, so. You don't talk about it? Not really, no, no, you tell me little bits, um, and then a lot of the stuff would be in, like, just subconscious or con unconscious about, you know, how he, let's say, when we travelled back up the north every couple of weeks, I was to call him Frank, who's my uncle, like, because he was on the run, or if I... Um, if we were sitting there watching the TV, like I was watching BBC and UTV, like I wasn't really watching RTE, it was constantly looking at Ulster or the Northern was politics. Was he a false roadman, your father? Was he? Was Lenadion. He, uh, oh, he was Lenadion. Yeah, right? yeah, Lenadion. So. And um, so he was West, he was West Belfast. West Belfast, yeah. So you grew up with him on the run. Yeah. Like living, you know, you had your, you were living in Ballymun, but he was always. Rewind a bit first. Mm. Yeah. So, because for a lot of the listeners, they wouldn't, um, Make the so your father was interned, mm. and that was obviously. I think there's a piece before that that probably be interesting is that he got shot when he was sixteen in the stomach. Yeah, he, there's a video on YouTube. Uh, where I he shot the soldiers, wasn't he? Yeah, there was a, there's a sniper on Davis Flats shooting shooting down the Brits, and he was walking around the corner, and the Brits were shooting back up, and he got caught. He got shot in the stomach. So at the age of sixteen, the troubles had just started. I think you know there was civil right rights marches and uh, he was surrounded by that but him getting shot in the stomach certainly influenced the direction he went if it didn't if it wasn't going to already in terms of where he was from and what was happening in terms of nationalist community like um, but when he obviously got shot in the stomach that certainly pushed him in that direction you know so then um, he got interned tried to escape I'm not sure the name of the guy that actually died that got shot in the in the escape there was, there was 20 odd there's a song about it yeah, right, we might take it out. There you go. There's your soundbite. But um, yeah, and then they were up in court in in Uri, uh, and they were basically in the the holding cell, and one of them went to the toilet and realised the bars were loose, and uh, they pulled the bar out and they jumped over the fence. Uh, he came off the other side of the fence and broke his ankle, and uh, they all went on the run. There's a book by Martin Fearon. It's a memoir and. Uh, goes through the whole kind of uh, the escape it's it's interesting it's it's, it's kind of it's amazing to think the way people will think of that nowadays you know some of your family member escaping from prison wow that's bad that's negative that's but they were actually celebrating in the court they were singing the song over the wall I think oh, that was like so, it was a huge it was a celebration was a huge like, you know? joy in the north when that happened you so, know, there were two or three yeah. escapes and there was always huge joy because they didn't see themselves as criminals well, it was a community themselves. under siege you know? yeah uh, i mean and i think that slowly but surely the narrative's changing 
from what was there, you know, the benign British coming in to sort of, you know, keep these warring factions apart, you know, instead of the truth, which was they just came in and shot whoever they liked and behaved however they liked and then walked away from it. So you you, you were now, you had no experience above. I mean, you weren't born until, what year were you born? 87. What? 87. Aye, so it was well, I mean, it, it was, Belfast experience was long over by then. No, it wasn't. Actually, it wasn't. Like, I, I, I remembered it, you know, like, I remember going into particular parts of the of Belfast and still, you know, blockades, the IRA were what was the war policing the streets. Um, you know, you couldn't, like certain places where my dad would be bringing me, I wouldn't be able to speak. He'd be saying, you know, you, you can't talk because they'll know you're you're from south and down south. I remember going into a pub in Ardoyan and, you know, it was like a celebration of him being back. Like, and I was like, I was only young at the time, but I, I remember, remember hearing the noise and, the energy, you know, they celebrated their their own coming back. When he came in the door, they would have yeah. been there. And he didn't have to put his hand in his pocket and they actually, he would have had a few bob going back down the road as well. But like, I went out playing football, kicking the ball off the wall against the pub and I remember just looking to the right and seeing Tiger's Bay. Oh, I see. And it intrigued me, like, and I was getting close to seeing what was going on then someone called me back, like, you know, so that's how close things were. When Is that being ultra-loyalist area, Tiger's yeah, Bay? Yeah, right beside it. It's so. typical of Belfast. It's a patchwork of street. That's just why there were so many. I always laughed at the names. They called them peace walls. Just yeah. boys killing each other. <laughs> this is the peace wall, yeah. you know. Literally a stone throw away, like, you know. Yeah. So imagine the, imagine how fate that. would have changed, Philly. I mean, you could have been competing for Talson Cups with Antrim. Well, and uh, you know, you know, yeah. oh no, Jesus yeah, Christ, yeah. That, he, he was bad enough on arm. Yeah, the horn was t- taken <laughs> off me when I was younger. Like, but I, I do think um, a lot of a lot of the experiences my dad had passed down into me. Like, you know, so his let's say purpose of defending his people, his you know, his family and his community, and you know, that certainly passed down into the purpose I had in terms of Ballymun being a community that has been neglected politically for years um, and there's always been kind of a negative perception of the community. So there's a, there's a direct alignment from his journey to mine, like, you know, which it's it's only a recent thing I've kind of reflected on those two things and said, Gee, you know, that's where that comes from, you know, so you're thankful for that. Yeah, Um the when you arrived into the, the Dublin setup initially in two thousand and nine, what were you nineteen, eighteen, nineteen? Nineteen, yeah. Nineteen. And uh Kilroy describes this furiously emotional young man who was <laughs> I mean basically he says, I would don't know how you describe it. <laughs> he wanted to fucking kill everybody. <laughs> he says, like, woe betide the man in training who got two points off you and there yeah. were one, two balls in a row. I mean, he said, you knew it was coming then. And, you know, it's, I wondered, I wondered whether, in a way, Gaelic football saved you. It's very hard to say, but it's certainly one of the, the contributors, I would say, to the journey I went on in life. Like, uh, Ballymon certainly shaped me, gave me gifts, so did my brother John's issues in terms of addiction and and uh, and sport. And that pain and suffering and sport, the life, the life skills I built up around that certainly pushed me in a direction in life because I know some of my friends unfortunately passed away from drug overdoses and stuff like that. So 
I could have easily fell into that trap, you know. Um, but yeah. you weren't training of a Tuesday or Thursday or Saturday or uh, who knows what you would have got sucked into. Just through idle minds, idle hands. Yeah, look, Jerry, I would have had numerous opportunities to go that route. Like, I'll give you one example that I always use is that I, uh, there would be been lads my age that they would have uh, done a tour of the country robbing supermarkets. Mm. And in a smarter way than going in with a gun and saying, give me your money. Like, they used to get one of the smallest lads to pop the tails, take the cash, and then the four older lads would stand at the door waiting for the security guard to go in. They'd grab the security guard and they'd go on a tour around the country coming back with thousands. And they'd be on the blocks and they'd be showing you the money and they'd be divvying it out and they'd have the best of clothes. And, and you'd be, like, enticed. You'd be like, oh, I want a bit of that. But I never got offered to go on that because of sport, because some do- some days they were gone, I wasn't there, but also my brother, he was 6'4", he was out to fight, and he would basically, you know, threaten the lads, like, don't don't, don't think about bringing him on you, what you're doing, like, you know. And, and I've been in plenty of house parties where there's been drugs there, and it's just been very, I've been very lucky to have the, seen the pain that John was going through to be able to say, I don't want that life and walking out of flats that I was in that there was these big house parties in like you know so all of that shapes you all that is your environment it it certainly pulls you into a certain you know direction in life you know so like like, football was when when I reflect back like it was huge learning for me like you know in terms of like when I went into the squad in 2008 I was that typical person that was told we want to see what you're like in terms of how tough you are, get stuck into him or get stuck into him. And I thought that was the way to do it. 2009, I tried to do that and Pat Kerry dropped me like because I was probably pissing too many lads off. I'm sure lads were going, he just wants to fucking hit us all the time and it's he's pissing us off here. Who does this little shit think he is? So there was a learning process to that, like, you know, and, and uh, eventually, I suppose, I got to a stage where managers realised that, okay, we can funnel this in it doesn't have to hit anybody to an extent but it can be an energy <laughs> my favourite bit of that was to an extent <laughs> but there's an energy there that can and be for funneled for the listeners Jerry's grinning broadly in, a, in approval <laughs> it's energy hit to an extent is doing a lot of heavy lifting Vincent's yeah. and Ballymun man that haven't collided are we yeah well you are too far down to the pitch I know the other time, Philly used to think he, he he was there, McConnelly in possession, and he get caught, you know. Yeah. But uh, he oh, he, he was too good of a defender. You know? One percent of the skill he had. But I, like, know. I remember, um, I remember me and Dermot clashed, and the best thing of it was like we'd clashed in the championship, and uh, Ballymun and Vincent's were going for it every year. They were always, you know, they were getting the better of us, and most of them. Were, I was marking Dermot in the championship the year before. Two of us had a bit of a, a go at each other two of us got sent off and then we played each other in the league the following year and I think Paul Curran was the manager that year for Ballymun and as far as I can remember I, I would imagine Jim put a call in to say just don't have Philly playing in the backs play him somewhere else because I would have been marking Dermot like you know and uh, he had me playing centre forward but do you think that stopped us? We met in the middle at some point didn't we? Yeah <laughs> Did the series get reds or a few? Just, no no he went off and played I didn't He got away with it? Yeah Yeah <laughs> But, uh, you got sent off? No, none of us got sent off. He had to go off. But I was and, still on the pitch. But uh, in fairness <laughs> you to it... You, you don't want to elaborate and, on that. And, you don't have to say anything. Anything you do... No, I just said what I said. That's all. That's all I'm <laughs> saying, Jerry. In, in fairness to the to, to Philly and Darren, well you, well, you wouldn't like to get a box off either of them, but uh, 
when we're playing for Dublin, the, the lads were always the first two in to help each other out, I have to say. If there's ever a bit of a row oh, or yeah. some of those challenge matches and that. The, the, that, the, that. the, the football is character. Mm. You know, Alex Ferguson said, you know, the game is about character. And, and he's right about that. You know, that, that is what yeah. it's about, as you know. And that grip, we're ruthlessly honest throughout. And you could see that, you know, and even the way you boys talk about yourselves and your lives. But Gilroy... <laughs> I remember him telling me after, because obviously me and Pat were in Trinity together, very close and all that, but I remember him telling I used to, he used to talk to me about what was going on mm. with players and, you know, take a look at this and all that sort of, you know, he's always on the hunt for information, whether he uses it or not. But I remember him telling me after you, I think it was, I think it was when you'd made the breakthrough in 2011 and you'd gone on holidays. Mm-hmm. I think you you gone somewhere really exotic, like when Derry won the All Ireland. Yeah, we paid for a road trip to Tenerife, yeah. <laughs> and it was a complete disaster. <laughs> the, the, the group never recovered. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. the fighting and yeah. bothered a crowd of Newcastle supporters one night. <laughs> anyway, you know, to an extent, I'll use that yeah. word. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a proper. But 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 we never really recovered from that. But Pat told me when he came back, he said, he says, uh, Jay, he says, fuck, he says. I didn't know how fucking strong Philly McMahon was. He says, he says we were fucking messing around the and he fucking pinned me down. Oh yeah, says, we were playing rugby on the beach. I remember that. Yeah. He says I couldn't fucking move. That's not close. Yeah. Fucking move. He, says, he says he had me fucking wrapped up. He says. Yeah. And uh, we, he, you played the game then, that, just after that, then didn't you? No. For charity, was that I, not that year? I, I, no. No, that was when I briefly was a national saint. That was. Is <laughs> that a picture of me and you, Joey, sent on today? There's a picture of. Of me, you boys had won the final then again in 2013. Okay, yeah, yeah. And um, the you you made up for life your chosen charity. Now it's, it's not a charity that accept funds or anything. It's just a campaign thing for organ donation. Obviously, David Hickey, mm-hmm. being the transplant surgeon and being one of the people who set up organ donation yeah. system in Ireland, uh, was with the group, and so the match was played down in Parnell Park, and. I would say it's the first time in history that anybody in a charity match like that, a celebratory charity match, yeah. has spear tackled their opponent, <laughs> which is what he did to me. He fucking Took picked me up. He picked, I, I, I popped over a point. I was, I was still in good nick, you yeah. know. I really remember it. He fucking turned me upside down and fucking fired me, fired me down in my head. The only way I was going to get right. I was extremely <laughs> proud of it. Yeah. The other kidney was nearly gone. <laughs> I sort of looked across and I said, "Oh, not so, you know." Yeah. That was you probably just, just a lot really. of lot of channeling <laughs> a lot of uh, lot of photographs of it. Uh, school yeah, crack right. that day it was brilliant like because yeah. like oh, we we were in a good place like obviously yeah. at the win in the All Ireland and we were just like in the happy space I suppose and Joe came into the change room and there was the banter straight away like you know it's like there's there's a thing with Joe where you stand off first of all don't you kind of go what's this what's, what's going to happen when here? you're playing and then yeah. you get you have the crack with him and it's just. Do you know, yeah, yeah. so he was a pic. It, it was a picture of me and Johnny Cooper, black and blue, and he was in between us. And Joe, you're going to get true. one of these after the game. <laughs> we, we get a, I got a photograph, and it just emphasized what they were like. I think actually it was three. It was Johnny, you, and Rory. Rory was concussed, and, and, and the three of them, the yeah. three of them had black eyes. Yeah, that was mm. the. the th- I'm, I'm right about 13. that, aren't I? Me and Johnny's black eyes, but yeah. I think he was concussed. I don't know if he had a... He might Rory, have had a Rory, on his face. Nails yeah. and the Barley. And done himself. Two to the head. head. Yeah. Yeah. Two of them hit the head. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Another great fella, working social worker. Did a lot of voluntary work for Kevin's Kitchens, the Capogens over the years. And so I wanted to sort of come round to that about 
you know, I'm friendly with Michael Doran. I know the work that he's doing in the inner city, and obviously you're, but you're still doing your prison mentoring, aren't you? I saw your program, which I thought yeah. was terrific. Um, yeah. Um, Michael Darr exhibiting his legendary skills again. Oh, stuff. And eye coordination. Somebody says, is he a prisoner? Sometimes he dresses like a prisoner, yeah, all right. Yeah. yeah. But like he's, the day, so we, we obviously for the show Gaelic and the Joy, we had a, we had a game where there were, we trained the lads for two weeks and we said, right, we bring the Dublin lads in and reached out. Jay was one of them, uh, reached out a couple of the lads and they jumped on it. It was just amazing. Like, and, uh, Typical Mick shows up. Well, I don't know if he was he early or late. He's one of the other. He's never really just on time, is he? Like the, the right time for things. But I says, Mick, have you got gear with you? Like you know. And he's like, No. He's like, it's these big heavy cotton tracksuit <laughs> bottoms. Like they're like bell yeah. type trousers. I'm like, you can't run around. It's a, like it's in the yard of a prison. Like, um, but that that's Mick wouldn't, all over. It like, wouldn't look good for the TV, you know. Oh, yeah. But like. If we put, he's very unselfconscious, isn't if, he? Oh, yeah. it does, like if we put a camera in the change room over the years, like you'd make a TV a, a TV show out yeah. of him, like you know, in terms of leaving clothes behind, leaving gear behind, randomly walking forgetting in, his boots for the, forgetting boots, yeah. forgetting. Oh, he was just he's a free spirit. Didn't so really is, give yeah. a shit, did he yeah. about things? Just yeah, yeah. wanted to go with the flow. It, like it must have been, you know, that the impression I got very strongly that night in two thousand and thirteen. Was because I don't know if you remember afterwards, we, we all went upstairs into Parnell Park to the upstairs area, and I was there with the Dublin group. And you guys were basking in you think you, 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 I take it you never drank Philly, no, and Philly looking like a pure, like so baby face. <laughs> and to see him up close because the first time I think I'd seen you up close, I was like, What the hell, like what's inside that man? Like, and it's, it's you know, I mean, you know, they say, like, you know. There's some people you don't want to run into in a dark alley. Yeah, yeah. You know, but the it was how humble the group was, and the. I mean, I remember Cluxon sat there, and he really didn't say anything. He just enjoyed everyone else. Philly was usual and bantering, and all the crowd. And Cluxon just sat there. He was close to me, and he just. Taking it all in, just enjoying it all. Yeah. I used to do that year. I used to sit in the change room, right? Uh, over the years I can remember a couple of occasions where I'd sit there and I'd go there's fucking head cases in this in this in this change room like, and, I, and I meant it in the best kind of way like and I'd look around and I'd I'd, re, I'd watch people that's what I'd do in the change rooms over the years like I'd look at you and I'd go you're acting the bollocks and you know talk, like, and it just and then I'd look at people walking in the change room and go what's this day like and then I'd have some you know it was just you're studying people all the time and it was it's something that you miss massively, like in your life, you know, not having that, you know, it, it nearly the, the thing slows down for you when you're you're in that space where you're just like, what was his day like? What's he doing now? How's he feeling about training now? What's going on in his head? And you know, someone like Klucko is one of the funniest guys in the team, isn't he? Like he's like is Rory and Jared, both of these lads had the same humor, real dry humor, but like fucking nonstop banter and. Because everybody loves that kind of humour. When he says a joke compared to somebody else saying a joke, everybody laughs twice as hard as his jokes than they would because of how dry and funny it is. People are laughing at me. No, I don't <laughs> know. No, I, thought, <laughs> I thought you were cracking up. I think, you know, maybe, you know, I think a lot about 
team sport and life in general and the important qualities. And I, I, I came to appreciate, I think, that that the most important quality in life is loyalty, even if it's blind loyalty. You know, that in the end, there's something about loyalty that is deeper, you know, and you can say, well, look, you know, I don't care what anybody thinks about this, but, and that group had that, for me anyway, that bond of loyalty and trust where there's no, you know. It's still it's still very much there, Joe, in fairness. If, if, if any one of us needed a hand and you mightn't have seen someone for a couple of years because a lot of lads get married or have kids and, you know, your 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 time has gone elsewhere and, and that uh, that loss that you do feel initially when you retire and it can take a couple of years to kind of get over um, when you're not no longer in that environment in the dressing room like Philly describes. Uh, at the same time, you can kind of still pick up a phone and reach out to someone if you actually did, uh, if, if you were in need and, and in fairness, any of the lads would come, come to help you, you know. Uh, despite how competitive it was as a dressing room, there was great camaraderie there. We pushed each other on, but we all wanted to be on the starting team. And um, I remember one of the changes in mindset that I had, uh, Joe, which again is down to a lot of the work that Pat obviously did, was that in my earlier years, probably playing under Pillar Caffrey, I wanted whoever was playing centre-back or wing-back, I wanted them to have a crap game or potentially get hurt, not seriously hurt, so I could come on. But... And to an extent, to an extent, yeah. yeah. Uh, in the in the in the, in the, of the day. yeah, in the latter years, and and thankfully, I, I, while the body was fit, uh, luckily I played most games. But uh, obviously, like anyone, I got dropped here and there. But uh, the few times you were on the bench, you were looking on, and you didn't really care. You just wanted the team to do well, and you were ready to come in when you were needed to help the group, you know. And that was the, I think that was the place that the group got to, uh, which obviously Jim Gavin took to another level then as well, and built on it that you know. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Yeah, um, that sense of sort of, I mean, I remember Jim Gavin said, oh, look, I want to, 
want to do something for you, you know, because the organ release and stuff. Mm. And I said, look, it's, you know, there's nothing to be done. And he said, you know, what if we came up and took your minors, mm. footballers for a transition? <laughs> I didn't even know how we, we were in the county final. Oh, yeah. I said, oh, what do you mean? He said, you know, you know, we come up, he said, we'll, you know, bring up the group and nice and discreetly, you know, we'll take a session. And uh, I said, really? I said, like, is this Conor Moore? This <laughs> 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 is Conor Moore. You remember the night? Yeah. You remember the night in the Palace Bar? Yeah, he did. Yeah. He stood up and he stood up Very after you. I think it was when you'd won the four in a row. Conor Moore came in with these boys. All came in. You see, into the Palace Bar, maybe about the money. And Conor stood up on the table and he he, he took Jim Gavin's peak cap. He did a perfect <laughs> impression of Jim talking about you know you know yeah, yeah. Know, Wexford really great team you know <laughs> I know their their goalkeeper's only thirteen but you know he's, he's one of the best goalkeepers in the county and we're certainly not you know they're not coming up here to make up the numbers etc etc but um, but that that that. Those little things, like, were the difference for me in terms of Jim thinking outside the box and how much attention to detail, he, how holistically he looked at things, you know. Um, we would have done that all over the country. Like, even little things like where we trained when we were on training camps, always always at the, the club that was there, we'd always have to train the, the, the kids' teams after that. Like all the, the, we'd do a hard bit of training and then all the kids run in and it's not like here, sign a few jerseys, it's, like train the kids like you know so we done that everywhere we went around the country we did that like and he would have done you know he would look at you know things like we did we did a game against an Ulster selection up in Raven in Raven Hill, for, for Anto Finnegan for Anto Finnegan the mother neurons and Anto would have came down like like he would have been there a lot with us like you know every year he would have been there yeah. God rest his soul you know and uh, that was Jim like you know that that those things had a huge effect on the players and still will in their everyday lives of what they do and who they are. I remember that game vividly. I mean, I, I that time they came up to do the training session, he combined it with a visit to Anto, who at that stage was really deteriorating, you know. And uh, But we're still, you know, and Anto was like, you know, I'm not dying, I'm living, you know. What are you talking about sort of thing? And uh, what an amazing fella, really. But... It makes you um, grateful when you do stuff like that. Yeah, but they came up and nobody could quite believe in the St. Bridget's Club. You know, I sort of said, like, you know, the chairman, you know, it was, it was like, and uh, everybody came down, you know, and I was like, so I said, like, there's no pressure. I think we'll keep it very quiet and we'll just tell the boys there's a training session. And here they are, like, these three Dublin vans are there, John Coslow's there, Sherlock and the whole group are setting up the training session just as though it was a Dublin session. He spoke to them. There was no big fanfare. The boys were like, oh, fuck, Jesus, fuck, right? And then afterwards, I remember Jim at the back of the van, hunting out Dublin peak caps, his sort of peak to everybody. Yeah. Costello says to me, I'm out of fucking fortune in those caps. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you'd think you were fucking refugees or something. <laughs> and, uh, and off they went. They were there for an hour and a half and they yeah. were gone. And and there, was no, there was no fanfare, but it was this thing of being hooked into the community and understanding yeah. the understanding the community and I think that that's what has made that whole Dublin football movement so special because there's a lot of other teams that do well briefly they're all they all become advertising billboards they're all sort of you know cars and it's all that and, and it's you know it's it's there's a there's a danger that, that that the game at that level can become as superficial as soccer professional soccer 
But with you guys, there's never any sense of that. There's a sense of, you know, you can pick up the phone and say, look, I need help, and where do I need to be? That, uh, that sense of identity as, uh, I guess, nationalists, north and south, Joe, was something that was probably lost, um, and probably continues to be lost with a lot of fellas that didn't grow up in the north. Obviously, you're unique, Philly, in that you're... Your father was from up there and uh, his involvement up there too. But um, any time he went north of the border, Joe, there was always an appreciation of how, again, lucky that we were, that we were born in Philly in the 80s and the 90s. We, we haven't experienced any real hardship, let's be fair. And you have a responsibility to, 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 I guess, represent first your county and that sense of being a caretaker, looking after the jersey. But also to the wider GA community on the four corners of the island that uh, where you can, you have to give back and you have to appreciate what people up in the north have, have, have done to, to to keep the game going and to, 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 to keep that, I guess, that fight or that struggle uh, in the limelight to, to ensure that there is equality for, for, for all people up there. And that was something, certainly from Pat and even Mickey Whelan, I, I would have picked up on quite a bit that... Uh, we don't know how, how lucky we, we do have it, so don't be coming giving out because you're sore over this or that. Just get on with it, you know. We so. had a manager at Queen's. I was in Queen's briefly, you know. But every time the bus went over the border, you see if you go down to play a game, said, look out, look out. He'd say, they're the bastards that deserted us in 1921. When you talk about that and, you know, you, you like it's so seductive and it sounds so magical and you said, Philly, like, you know, you'd miss it. You'd miss that stuff. The change room stuff. Yeah. How hard is it to actually walk away, to actually decide, right, my time is my time is up and to do that when you have that unity? It's not really, unity yeah, in that union. like the decision is generally made between you or the manager, you know, so it's kind of the writing's on the wall a lot of the time. Uh, there's very few that will leave when things are going rosy and you're getting loads of minutes and stuff like that. It's kind of the time is being restricted and... Uh, you know, it's it, you don't see your job there anymore, and you're maybe, you know, you're not, you're not, you're you're holding on to the jersey too long. Maybe you need to give give it to the next person, or maybe it's it's a thing where you don't think there's the next person coming along just yet, so you hold on for a little bit longer if you can, and that's that's crucially what I learned from the lads that retired uh, before me is you know you're there to do a job, you're there to do what you can for the team as long as you can, and if that's sitting on the bench and that makes a difference then so be it. And some lads don't do that and that's fine. That's whatever route they want to go. But it's, it for me, like, I suppose when I had somebody in the management team coming to me and saying I was getting too physical was the time when I went, no, oh, this is the time I need to go, you know, um, because that was probably the ask of me, you know, in terms of years gone by and, so, so th- th- that was the key thing for me, you know, and time obviously was a bit, the time was an add-on to that in terms of the minutes I was getting and then having a young baby as well at the time was, they were all contributing factors to stepping aside. But you, like, it's it's hard because you miss, you know, it's a void that like, you benefit so much from playing sport. You benefit so much from playing elite sport as well. Like even today, like I, I was in the gym this morning at five o'clock uh, I was in a hyperbaric chamber at seven o'clock, like, and you're st- you're thinking to yourself, who does this now that doesn't play elite sport, like, you know, and you're still h- hanging on to things that keep your life healthier, yeah. you know, you still got, and you you drop a lot of things as well that you had, but the longer you can stay, you know, at top elite sport, 
in the time capsule we're in, the more of things are going to come to you in life, you know, and you miss a lot of other things, you sacrifice a lot of other things, of course, but it's it's the days where, I suppose, there's a bit of a, a kind of a, a rootlessness within me that's kind of like, I would be loving, I'd love to play Kerry this weekend and win a, a nine dollar that's Ireland. Ex- that's exactly, Kieran McKeever said that last week, the greatest cornerback of his generation, he kept getting sent off, so he only yeah. won, won All-Star, he should have won about seven. And uh, we were talking about him beforehand. Jesus, he was so tough. I remember he knocked out Manus Boyle one time and the blood was scooting out of Manus' eye. It was like a Quentin Tarantino movie. In the because Manus had been getting at him, you see. Fergal McCusker said to me, Jesus, this isn't going to end well, Joe, you know. I says, what's going on up here? He says, Manus has been hitting him and hitting him with his elbow and stuff, you see. And McKeever, because he never cursed, he got married when he was very young, 17, 18. He cultivated this flipping hell and flip sake on flimming hell and and McKeever sent him a flimming hell manus, would you stop that? So I was like, fuck me. I get wired into him. The next thing there he is knocked out, you see on his back <laughs> and the blood's been saying, Tommy Sue Grew said, Did anybody see what happened? And McKeever said, I think he fainted. <laughs> <laughs> but that sort of ferocity, you know, he was asked about last weekend, he was on for the BBC on the sideline and they said to him, you know, how would you handle fairness, how would yeah. you handle Clifford? And he said, I'd love to I'd love to yeah. be getting stuck into him today. And I wanted to I mean I, I can remember with great fondness and I, I do you remember your battles would call him Cooper. Mm. And I was talking to Patrick about this one time, saying like those days you outscored him in Croke Park, as I recall in an All Ireland final. And Pat always said that the league game against Kerry in 2010 after you'd been destroyed in the 2009 semi-final and you know really it had been very humiliating and Pat sort of had to start all over again with a whole new group and then you, you had your Monaghan games and then you played Kerry in the league and he always said that game that was that was the turning point that was where Philly climbed into Cooper's head yeah um, like, he said he said he said he says, lads I want you to do it Anything, anything <laughs> out there. I want you to get fucked into them. Right? I want you to fucking lay down. I want you to do anything. So at half time, you were you were walloping them at half time, and Pat said, "That's it's great. down for Charles Stadium, was it? Yeah, yeah. You had gone, yeah. you'd gone after Cooper on the way yeah. into the change room, yeah. and uh, Pat says, Philly says, oh, you know, I think you're going a bit far. You know, <laughs> I didn't tell you to do that. And Philly says to him, he said." You told us to do anything. <laughs> but it's fair enough, fair enough. But I, he, always, he always says that was the moment that you climbed into Cooper's I don't know about that. Like, I mean, Cooper... I remember sure the day he was intimidating you in the All-Ireland final and you complained to David Goldrick. <laughs> yeah. Remember that day? It's always the back. It's always the defender. Cooper, like, I... So much that was 2015 final. Yeah, 15, yeah. Like, I mean, I suppose... He was obviously... The, one of the best forwards in our generation yeah. I think Jaren, uh one of the best forwards we've seen and he had such a vital kind of role he, he dominated us for years didn't he like he really like he was such a such a his game IQ was so good and I think everybody's level around them game IQ was so low and uh, that was the question marks I always had of how could I get into this fella's head you know was really look at the areas, study the areas that he'd, he'd come up against in terms of opponents and then there was nothing. I couldn't find anything. I couldn't find, right, do I mark him tighter? Do I mark him more aggressively? Do I, you know, do I do the, the verbal thing or all of those things, especially the Tyrone boys, all, we're doing that over the years with him and it really wasn't affecting him. He 
you could win from full forward, be the playmaker out around the half forward line and be assistant scorers. All that. He, he had it all. And I just wanted to challenge him then how well he was a defender and then fatigue him as he was coming up the pitch. And they, they, uh, that was, the, for me, that was the crucial part in, in getting the better of him, especially in 2015. Like, was like, you went tracking you. Can you be a defender? And then when you get back up the pitch, have you done the hard yards? Did you not score a goal off him? When it was, who were you marking the day you scored the goal in the final? Or was that against Mayo, the goal you Mayo. scored in the Ireland final? Mayo, yeah. I was on but there was definitely one day you outscored Cullum. 15. 2015. Yeah. Yeah. Was that the day that Colin was intimidating you and you went and complained to David Coldrick? The same and day, yeah. You know, that, that, was, uh, that he was mic'd up and nobody knew. Yeah. He was <laughs> mic'd up and then six months later the documentary yeah. came out and you said to him, you know, uh, David, and he was like, this, this man's intimidating me. And David, <laughs> David just burst out laughing and walked away. <laughs> I didn't say them words. <laughs> what did you say? I just said it's always a defender because what was happening was... <laughs> Uh, I was trying to get up the pitch at, at in the second half so they probably had said at half time just, just check his runs don't let him go up the pitch but uh, I, I was obviously I, I, I can honestly say I was a bit phys- physically bigger than him so I was getting up the pitch but like he was properly dragging me like you know and then every time that we were inside uh, I just had to have my arms up like a clamp I didn't even have to drag him I was just I, I felt like I had the, the physical strength to hold him and contain him so that you couldn't get a separation to make a run. And uh, and it is always the defender, isn't it really? Like, you know, Perfect. when you look at it, boys, yeah, I, boys. You know what, I'm, I'm starting to feel sorry for you. I'm, I'm not going to look at this and everything. I mean, one of, the, one, of the, one of the very satisfying things about watching that group is when a ball was kicked in the air. Like, I remember, you know, Kieran Dunney, who, who sort of, I suppose, Otto Clifford came along as probably, the you know, one of the most devastating players that the game has seen under a high ball. Um, I mean, Aidan O'Shea is superb under a high ball, but I mean, the way you guys in the full back line went to work, smaller guys, and it, it looked almost like a plan that if the three of you hit him at the same time in the air, then then there wasn't very much the referee could do. I mean, all of you were off your feet, all of you were hitting them very, very hard. I mean, we was there a plan? You, weren't we? Like, I mean, like everybody was honed in, we were exposed to the you know all the different possibilities that could happen in the weeks of training and and that was like uh, when you, when you see a team coming together defensively or offensively like let's say Ross Common against Mayo this year in, you know in in Connacht like you, you you see that kind of connection of defenders hunting together swarming like the Toronto teams that's exposure I I would feel I I think that's exposure that you're preempting I've seen this in training right where am I what am I doing who am I helping who am I communicating with and we've done that constantly, like, repetition-wise, hundreds of times. There, like. Yeah, there was stuff you would have worked on if you were marking someone like an Aidan O'Shea or um, Kieran Donaghy coming in. You knew that you weren't going to out-jump him as such. But So the setup would be, depending on how close the ball might be coming towards the square, your, your only job on him was to not let him catch it clean. And someone else has to come in and win the ball off you, so to speak. So you were or hit them in the ear. Or, 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 yeah, <laughs> it, it's yeah, it's whatever you have to, to do. Extent. Yeah, yeah. To an extent, yeah. <laughs> and then and then and then Cloco or, or whoever yeah, be coming yeah. in the half back cr- line would be coming in. That's a crucial part. Cloco yeah. behind you, like you yeah, know, yeah. Um, over the years, it would give him nearly a free run at it. So he's not. Sometimes he mightn't be leaping over you and uh, the full forward. He'd be just going nearly a clean run for the ball, you know. 
and then you'd always had the cavalry were coming in quite well and we were good at creating the plus one and the um, year so do you have demons Philly do I have demons yeah, yeah, yeah everybody has demons I think I think every, whether you call them demons or not I don't know like do you sleep I, do I sleep yeah really well <laughs> yeah. but like there's, there's I'll give you an example of a demon like I would have I would have dreamt it or fantasized on hitting people's shoulders and stuff like that it's weird like I, I don't know if Jerry you would have experienced that like but I like some players visualize a beautiful score a beautiful pass or I'd visualize hitting someone squaring on over his shoulder in your sleep not in my sleep not as like but I mean fantasize. demons as in you know things that are there that you have to deal with yourself Internally, would you? Um, nightmares, you know. Mm, I don't remember like, specifically any nightmares or demons like that I'd have, you know. But um, what was the cage fighting all about? You know, you you started to do the yeah. Uh, well, I was always into kind of combat sports. I'd done like boxing when I was a kid. Like yeah. not not huge. I didn't hugely commit to it now because of football, but. It was one of those things, I suppose, and you're from a certain community that you, you know, you, you have to be able to handle yourself. Like if you're, mm -hmm. where did you do the? Was you actually yeah. did cage fighting? I never fought. No, I never fought. No. I, I trained in it, so I trained in it in my off season for probably four or five years. You know, yeah, that's how you learned the spear tackle boys and charity matches. Well, do you know what? I became more calmer. <laughs> <laughs> that was WWE when I was younger, watching it as a kid. But now yeah. when I was younger, oh, sorry, when I when I was doing, it, I actually became more. My discipline was much better. Like. Because um, you were able to contain yourself and respond the right way to certain situations. Where some punch you in the face and you don't punch them back, and you're thinking of right, wh which position do I need to get this fella into? That's no different to on a pitch when somebody gives you a slap and you're going to go, hold on a second, think about this for a second. So, as much as I'm seeing uh, myself and Jerry probably in a similar bracket the way we played, but like I've very little red cards. Like I think I've only had. One straight red that I can think of up in Derry when I actually someone was hanging out me and I swung back. But apart from that, I think I don't think I've any straight reds after that. You know, so that that would have been in a peak part of my career where I started doing MMA and I suppose gaining a value of discipline. Like, yeah, I suppose also you weren't going to be playing for the Dubs unless you were able to stay the right line. Exactly. Yeah, Pat and yeah. Pat and uh, Jim would have been, you know. You get one strike, and after that, then someone else is taking your jersey. Yeah. Like, what you is know? it? Uh, I'll ask you both. What is, what is being a champion? What is what it? being a champion? What is it? I don't know. I think, I think being a champion is in 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 a, a team sport that we play in. It's it's doing something bigger than yourself, you know, and having an experience of that and giving energy to people is a champion like you know it doesn't mean winning things you know I don't think I don't think all Ireland's are massive and I'd be wrong to say that it, you know it's not a part of being a champion but I think playing sport at the elite level for me was a big thing because of maybe people from my community seeing me as somebody I could look up to as a role model possibly at certain times and and I think that's bigger than anything, you know. That's a champion for me. Someone that changes their life, someone that maybe impacts someone else's life, someone gives energy, someone that helps somebody. That's a champion for me. In, uh, in team sports, a champion is being incredibly lucky, Joe. 
and being born at the right time and having the right people around you to guide you in the right direction. And then all of a sudden you end up in a group uh, of like-minded, fanatical, committed individuals uh, being guided and managed by incredible people. And next thing you know, in my case, I've won a few All-Irelands and Philly has won whatever you, what have you won now? A few. <laughs> you won a few as well. So, uh, uh, so I think from a team point of view, I think luck has an awful lot to do with it. In terms of... Two lucky club All-Irelands, three lucky Sam McGuire. Yeah. It's not... It's, 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 I don't think I can run with that explanation. But, but, but if you want to ask me how I, I, I would... If you want to ask me what is high performance or... or what does an elite what does it take to be do? a champion? The, the I don't, I'm asking about you. Well, 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 well to be a champion, you, as you said, you, you could have said a few minutes ago, Joe, you're actually competing against yourself the whole time. And that it's, even though you're doing runs with the group or you're having in-house A, B games and you know your man on that team is trying to get your place and you're trying to hold your place or win back his spot, it's ultimately you're actually competing against yourself. So when the little monkey on the shoulder kind of pops up and says oh you're you can't do it I know you're too sore now you're too tired oh your man's had to win the last two balls forget about it uh, or you got skinned today you're, geez, you're finished um, it's actually being able to say well fuck off you yeah. and just sense of sort of Gilroy said about you too because I was a, I was asking about it for a game and he said like I think he said the best way to describe me he says you know they they were absolutely bemused, he said, at the idea that somebody might be better than them. <laughs> on the field. He said they'd like absolute self-confidence. And if they, if somebody did well against them, they would be bewildered. You know, like, what the fuck yeah. is that all about, you know? I, I, I remember the earlier years, I was much more mouthy and I played a good bit of soccer as well, Joe, uh, good level and then rugby as well. But uh and there was a lot of trash talk in the soccer and, and a bit in the rugby, funny enough now as well, although not back to the referees. But um and that carried over to the to the to the football and you used to nearly dominate and intimidate a lot of guys. But in the same way um that Philly described uh trying to hold inside a Gucci's head in the twenty thirteen semi final, I tried to physically grab a hold of him, but it didn't work out for me on that occasion. But I remember playing against the Tyrone boys, and is it Brian, not Brian McGuigan, who was centre forward for him? Is it yeah, McGuigan? Yeah, yeah. Brian, and, um, and he was actually trying to melt at me, to trying to get me put off, uh, or for me to react to, to hit him in that 2011 uh, quarter final. And in around that time, I began to change my, my, my nearly outlook in terms of going onto the field. And in the latter stage of my career, I rarely said nothing. And I figured the silence was probably more scary than the actual the mountain. And just hit lads hard with your body and uh, uh, dominate them as best you yeah. can, you know? I, th- I think uh, for me, it worked really well throughout my whole career because where I was playing, yeah. I was playing in the full back position. So my job was like, uh, it was a game of chess. It was like, what is he thinking now? And if he's thinking of making this certain run to get this ball in a certain zone, mm. well, then I need to get him to think something else. And the more I take away from his thoughts, the more he loses focus, the more I'm impacting his execution or his movement. And better, the better defenders do that. They're actually quite proactive. And I, I don't even know if that was something you were probably coached. I think no. fellas just do it, uh, show and the on where as the ball is coming down uh, one wing, um, I'm going to give your man a nudge or do something smart or pinch him or whatever. So he's looking at me instead of looking at the ball. 
and all of a sudden he loses focus for a split second. You know, it's a great Lee Dixon said, you know, always show him where you want him to go. Yeah. yeah. But did Franz Beckenbauer say a lot of players are faster than me from A to B, but I never started A? Yeah. yeah. Well, that was yeah. me in centre back now. <laughs> I, I wasn't fast. So I used to be trying to read the play the whole time. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So, uh, but on the, on, on, on the, well, the one occasion I got skins and it's terrible uh, even nearly 10 years later still you're still holding on to it despite <laughs> what you won by James McCarthy and Jack McCaffrey were the wing backs that day and obviously two incredible fast uh, wonderful players and, 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 and the Kerry wing forwards dragged them all over the place first half and it was me and the gooch in the 45 I was, I was goosed you know, so <laughs> 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 it was it the same year that you accidentally collided with Declan O'Sullivan was it? That was 2011. Yeah. That was Michael Darrow's fault as well because yeah. he pushed, pushed him into him. Yeah. That was an yeah. obvious accident. That was a big uh, change yeah. like in terms of that game because of how dominant Declan O'Sullivan was over, the, over that season. Like. Yeah. And then he was he was gone after that, was he? Did he get taken off after? Or was he? Well, he probably should have because he he, he, cost, he, he got caught for a couple of plays. He got, uh, he got caught the for the goal. Yeah. The goal. Yeah. 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 And... Uh, and, and and they're the things when Philly's dreaming about hitting fellas as, as a defender like it's not often you actually celebrate a block or you celebrate dispossessing the guy or you celebrate getting out in front uh, people go for the obviously the real entertainment for, for the uh, non-intuitive intelligent uh, viewer is how many points did your man score how many points did he get uh, not um, well, how many times did he actually block his run how many times did he track a runner how many times did he get down on the foot and when you're trying to celebrate those things as defenders, what I would say to teams now, when you're coaching them, it's actually, particularly where teams are well matched, it's like a war of attrition, that most of the top four, three or four football and hurling teams physically are being prepared in quite similar ways. And again, if you were to go up to Philly's gym and test them with their strength and their power and their 1K time trial, it'll all probably average out the same, I would imagine. But it's that war of attrition. How hard can you continually hit? And in the last ten minutes, that's where the games are won. What, what you know? are you? What are you prepared to do? Listen, um, that um, that two thousand eleven game was the day you cut out respect for yourselves, and it laid the foundations for I think the most extraordinary era of Gaelic football that we've seen. The most extraordinary domination by such a fascinating team. I want to say to both of you, uh, I think that GA people everywhere are very proud of you. And um, I want to wish you both well in everything you do in the rest of your lives. Um, I, it's been awful difficult for me since Jer said that earlier not to imagine him sitting there in his priestly robes. <laughs> but, With a few uh, kids. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> full back. It wouldn't be the first. <laughs> the knock on the door, Joe. Huh? The knock on the door. Listen, boys, thank you. It's so been much. riveting. It's been yeah. really, really riveting talking to you today and listening. Thanks, lads. Cheers, boys. Thank you. Был спели, кости к боку не бывает опозданий. Так что ж там ангелы поют такими злыми голосами. Или это колокольчик весь зашелся от рыданий. Или я кричу коням. Чтоб не несли так быстро за чуть помедленнее кони, чуть помедленнее. Умоляю вас, скач, 
imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.